How y'all doing? Good, good. Um, we are continuing on a series of sermons where uh, we've looked at uh, a different way in which God works in our life, and we are doing this sermon series in which we talk about God being with us and for us. In the first week, we looked at the book of Joshua, in which we saw how even in the times in our lives where we're just circling around walls that don't ever seem to fall, where we can't seem to get a foothold into the next part of our lives, that God is willing to go and fight for us and work in a mighty way that we could never do on our own. In fact, there are times in our lives where God will even solve problems for us that we could never have done on our own. And last week we talked about how even in difficult circumstances and times of loss and times of desperation, we can still find peace. And today we're talking about joy. Now, when you and I think about joy and what brings about joy, we may have a, you know, a differing view on, on what results in our lives filling up with joy. Uh, many times we think that it might be something that we could purchase or that we could gain uh, that would bring about joy in our lives. Uh, you know, all kinds of problems we face when we begin to think to ourselves, I would be joyful, I would be happy if I just had this, right? And then because of Amazon Prime, two days later we get it on our doorstep and we think, that really wasn't everything I'd hoped it would be, right? Uh, or maybe we have some temporary excitement, you know, like now my microwave can talk to my TV and things are good, right? Uh, or uh, we might look at our relationships and say, you know, if I just had a new relationship, a new friend, a new acquaintance, or things were getting better with somebody in my life, then, then I would have joy. Uh, but my, my experience as a pastor and as a person is that really when it comes down to it, what, what fills our, our lives with joy is that we are overloaded with, with God's love, that we have a sense that we are loved and that we have an appreciation for life, we love life, and that there is a distinct lack of fear. If you want to put it into equation, we would say that joy equals love minus fear. That the more that our hearts are filled with love, the more joy we're going to have in life. And the less fear that we have is going to result in the same thing. But when you and I become fearful, when we're anxious, when we're worried, it's very hard to be joyful, right? And so today I want to look at that, that equation in a little bit different way and talk with you about how not only can we be a people that are filled with joy, that have joy in a, a more regular basis or a joy that's sustained, uh, that we also are a people who understand and are joyful about our community and our life together and as a church as well. And to do that, uh, I'm going to have you hear a little bit about the book of Zephaniah. And um, Zephaniah really doesn't get talked about very much. It's a tiny little book. And usually the only time you ever hear about Zephaniah is around this time of year. In Advent. And the reason is because it is a book that talks about expectation, what we expect to happen, what we believe to be inevitable. What are the things that you would say are certain in the future? I mean, when we talk about Zephaniah, we're going to hear about the promises God makes. But when you think about your own life or the world that we live in, what do you think of in terms of certainty about what you could rightly say is definitely going to happen? You know the old saying, there's nothing sure in life but death and taxes, right? What about your own life? What would you say is inevitable? It's just going to happen. There, it is going to be brought about. Right? And when we answer that question, we begin to have a look into our hearts and our lives, don't we? Because there are things in this world that can bring us joy. 
I mean, to me, we live in an amazing time, a wonderful time. Yes, there's poverty. Yes, there's war. Yes, there's complications. But, but folks, I mean, you can get just about anything bacon-flavored these days, right? <laughs> you, can, you can have coffee faster than you ever could before, right? But, but what's inevitable? What is it that you think is just going to happen? And when it does, it'll be great. When we look at the, the book of, De- of Zephaniah, we see a great deal of uncertainty. Uh, you have to read around in the Bible to figure out what the time period is, but basically it comes down to there was a king named Josiah, and Josiah was a good king, he was a righteous king, uh, and he had a really odd incident where he had sent a priest named Hilkiah off to uh, go and refurbish the temple. And along the way, this man finds God's book of law. And he comes back to King Josiah and he says, the good news is I found the scroll, found this book. The bad news is we're doing everything wrong. Okay? And, uh, and the, he was right. Everything was going badly in that time. They were far from God. They weren't listening to God. They weren't obeying God. All the Ten Commandments they were ignoring. They, they weren't even close to following along where God wanted them to be. And so when the priest tells Josiah that, Josiah says, well, everything's got to change. Everything's got to be different. We've got to redo everything. And so he goes about the work of trying to fix everything. And if you've ever been in a place like that where you've said, everything has to change, everything has to be different, then you can recognize what Josiah attempts to do. He goes and he destroys all the temples to other gods. He bans any kind of rituals that worshipped other gods. And he begins to help these people begin to see and say, we need to worship the God of Israel. Have you ever gone about that work of trying to change everything in your life? I, uh, a number of years ago, I got a call from a, a couple who were having a, a serious relationship struggle. Um, the wife in this particular case had made a serious error, and um, they came to my office because they were on the verge of divorce. And they began to tell me about how they really didn't see how things were going to be any better. Uh, this was a mistake that she had made, and he didn't have any idea how he was possibly going to overcome it or overlook it. And, um, but I said, well, you've got to remember, God can do great things. God's, God can do the unimaginable, and um, not because of what I said, but because of the way that God worked in their life that day. They said, well, we'll give it a try. We'll, we'll try and keep things together. And the husband began to outline a plan for how things were going to change. He said, well, what we're going to do, we're just going to start all over again. We're just going to start everything over. We're going to go home. We're going to sell the house. We're going to sell the cars. I'm going to get a new job. I, I'm not kidding. I mean, this was his solution, right? And he's saying, I'm going to get a new job. Um, we may even need to reconsider who we invite to Christmas. Um, and then he got to the point, you know, he said, I think we even need a new church. I was like, hold on, wait. You, you definitely don't need a new church. But you can understand where he's coming from. He's like, what if I just, you know, got rid of it all? Maybe that would bring about the change. And that's what Josiah was trying to do. Uh, But when we get into where things got after that, we find in Zephaniah chapter 3, a description of how things are. It says, um, she listened to no voice. She accepted no discipline. She didn't trust in the Lord, nor did she draw near to her God. The princes in her midst are roaring lions. Her judges are wolves of the evening. They, they leave nothing for the morning. Her prophets are reckless, men of treachery. Her priests pollute 
that which is holy. They do violence to the, to the instruction. The Lord is righteous in our midst. He does nothing unjust. Morning by morning, he renders justice, but the unrighteous one knows no shame. I will cut off the nations. Their towers will be destroyed. I will devastate their streets. No one will pass through. Their cities will be laid to waste. There will be no one left, no, one, no inhabitant left. And so the image that's there is God speaking to the people of Israel as a father speaks to a, a daughter. He's saying, but they don't listen. They, they don't pay attention. They don't have any interest in, in learning from me or growing or, or changing or doing anything like that. Even though their circumstances had changed, even though their temples to other gods had been left, their hearts were still hardened towards God. They weren't listening. And so what's the solution when... We live in a time where people don't listen to what God wants, what God desires. What do we do in our world today when people still have a high crime rate, where there's lots of murders, where there's all kinds of horrible things? What do we do? Well, one, we usually do like Zephaniah did. We yell at them until we're blue in the face, right? And that doesn't really change much. We create more laws, right? Because certainly the next law will, will fix everything. Or third, we just kind of give up. And yet, when we get into the rest of this book, we find that God has a whole different plan for them. Rather than continuing to just scold them or shame them or, or anything like that, you get on into the end of Zephaniah, and we get to the third chapter, and there's these beautiful words. I mean, think about it from just the perspective of these are people who are far from God, who are recognizing that they are and all of a sudden God speaks to them through Zephaniah and says rejoice daughters of Zion shout Israel rejoice and exalt with all your heart daughter Jerusalem the Lord has removed your judgment he has turned away your enemy the Lord the king of Israel is in your midst you will no longer fear evil on that day it will be said to Jerusalem do not fear Zion do not let your hands fall the Lord your God is in your midst a warrior bringing victory he will create calm with his love he will rejoice over you with singing. And so when it came to these people finding hope and finding joy, what does God do? God doesn't condemn them or shame them or uh, anything like that. Instead, all of a sudden, God speaks into their lives and he gives them a very simple promise. He says, there will come a day, there will come a day where I am going to be like a father over a young child he says, caring for that child, loving that child. It says, the Lord your God is your, in your midst, a mighty warrior bringing victory. He will create calm with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. That's such a beautiful image to me. To think about our creator, our God, singing over us, rejoicing over us, singing a song of victory over our lives. I mean, do you, do you, can you just picture that for a moment? I mean, that the heavens and the earth, everything is silent, and from the midst of all of that, we hear God singing, God rejoicing, proclaiming a song of, of victory and joy over our lives. That no matter what it is that we are struggling with today, that God could still be singing that song of victory a victory that's inevitable, that is promised, and that will happen. It's so beautiful to me to think about him, God just speaking and singing and 
rejoicing over our lives. Now, it's a beautiful promise, and it's one that should fill our hearts with joy and hope because it means that, that on one day, God will do that. God will sing that song of victory over each of our lives. But what I wanted to speak about is just the, the here and the now, in this moment. Because it's one thing to have a promise, and it's another thing to live the life that we do in the here and the now. The promise helps. It lifts our eyes. It corrects our vision for what is to be. But what about the now? What about the here and the now? And what I want to point out to you is that you and I, even when we have those promises, we still struggle to live a life that is in line with what God wants for us. We struggle to be obedient. We still are people who fight for things we really don't want rather than take the free gifts that God gives us. Anybody else out there understand what I'm saying? That we are a people that are prone to go and wander astray. Even though we have that promise, even though we have that great news, we're still a people that in the here and the now, when you leave today, you're going to be faced with all kinds of temptations, with all kinds of things that pull at your heart. You are going to leave here today, and you're still going to have to face the news that's on the TV or the problems that are underlying your life. And rather than going out and trying to destroy everything or, or whatever your solution has been in the past, I, I want to propose to you a different way of looking at it. And it all comes down to this reality of a, a God that's with us. A God that's present in the here and the now. A God that speaks into our hearts and our lives, that, that sings and rejoices and, and worships and celebrates each of us. And when we look at our, our lives and we begin to wonder, you know, are things going to change? Are things going to get better? We are prone to falling into temptation of, of reaching for things that really uh, we shouldn't be reaching for. Here, I'll give you a quick illustration of what that looks like. Um, back when I was in college, I was dating my wife and uh, I was getting close to Christmas. And I have the worst habit of doing something that maybe some of y'all do. My habit is that I will write a Christmas list somewhere in around late November, right? And I'll give it to somebody who asked for it. And then I will systematically just about buy everything that I can on that list. Am I the only one that ever did that? I remember very clearly in college, there was, I was into aquariums at that time, and there was a specific fish filter that I wanted. And um, I came home with it about two weeks before Christmas, and my wife looked at it, and she said, what is that? I said, it's this thing. I've, I've had to have it. It's the most important thing in the world right now, right? And she said, well, you just ruined Christmas. <laughs> and when you and I discount, when we dismiss, when we look at our future and we say, is God really going to fulfill his promises? We do the same thing, don't we? We take shortcuts, we short circuit, we try and achieve things on our own, and we limit what God can do or what God can bring about. And the people in the book of Zephaniah, they did the same thing. They said, sure, sure, maybe God will do something great one day, but right now, we need to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we'll die. And so obedience comes in not only having a vision and a promise of what the future will be, but trusting in what God can do in the here and the now. So today, I, I invite you just to consider for a moment what it is that God has promised in your own life 
what it is that he has said is inevitable for you and for the life that you have right now in the here and the now. It may be that you are somebody that struggles with some habits or some addictions or some, some things that you know just keep you from where God wants you to be. And today, I just invite you to, to name them for what they are. Name them to be the idols that are keeping you from God. I think Martin Luther put it so well. He said, in order for us to live an obedient life, a life that is filled with the joy and the hope that God desires for us, uh, then we first and foremost have to get rid of those things that we know are idols in our lives. He says, there's no way that we can obey the rest of the commandments if we don't get the first one right. What's the first commandment? You shall have no other gods before me. But finding joy, finding hope in the midst of our world right here and now is all about finding God first, placing God first in our lives. I love the words that Paul wrote in the book of Philippians. Paul was somebody who knew the, the struggles and the temptations that come in the times of waiting in our lives. Paul was uh, writing this letter from prison, so you kind of have an idea of what his circumstances were. And the prisons back then, they were not like they are today. He didn't have cable TV and all the luxuries, but they were bad. You didn't even know if you were going to get food. And when he writes this, he talks about what his life is like with Christ in the here and the now. Not just looking forward to the future, not just expecting what God will do, not just trusting in what God has said is inevitable, but, but looking at his life and, and saying, but this is how things are now. And he writes, um, I'm not saying this because I need anything, for I have learned how to be content in any circumstance. I know the experience of being in need and having more than enough. I've learned the secret to being content in any and every circumstance whether full or hungry, or whether having plenty of, or being poor. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Still you have done well to share in my distress. And so what does Paul write? He says, even in prison, even in the worst of circumstances, if I have Christ, if he fills my heart and my life, then I can endure all things. If I have Christ, if I have him in my life, then I can always expect God to bring about those promises that he has made to me. And I hope that's the case for you as well. That you have Christ, that you have that promise. Did y'all love that song we did in the offering today? It is just my favorite contemporary Christian song right now. Take Courage. If you haven't listened to it before, it's a beautiful song. And the great joy of being a senior pastor is you can tell your worship leader, hey, you know it would be a great song to play on this Sunday? And they can make it happen. But I just want to read you the lyrics. You know, it, it talks about having courage in the here and the now, in the moment. Not just always looking forward to the promises, but having courage and hope and joy right now in the moment of our lives. And I love this beautiful part of it. it says, you know, God, he, the singer speaks to God and says, you, you who hold the stars in your hand, who, who calls them each by name, you will surely keep your promises to me that I will rise in your victory. And you who hold the stars, who, who call them each by name, will surely keep your promise to me that I will rise in your victory. I hope that fills your heart with God's love, to know the one that created you, who can redeem you, and who has made so many promises about your future, will keep each and every one of them. 
that God has the power, the ability, the strength, and that he will do it. He will bring about the redemption of our world, the redemption of our lives, all those things, all those things that hurt us, that wounded us, that we think of as so tragic. They will all be undone and remade in the new heavens and the new earth, and that he will do it. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we don't like to wait. We don't like uncertainty. And so we so oftentimes reach out for things that we think can fix that. We look for technology that can speed up the, the natural processes of our lives. Uh, we look for security and money or in relationships or any and never places. And yet, Lord, our hearts still tell us that things are not right. So we look to you. We look to you in this Sunday of Advent to be the one who can assure us like nothing else. To be the one that promises that all of our sins of our past can be forgiven through your son, Jesus Christ. That we don't need to be ashamed or fearful about what we have done or, or what might others might think of us. We look to you to be the, the savior of our lives that can reach into even the worst circumstances and give us joy. Help us, Lord, to focus upon you in this week to come. Help us to know more of you. And all these things we pray and ask in Jesus' most blessed name.